the biggest opportunity in front of us was not just how do we make it easy to get products to people, but how do we use the data from our direct consumer platform to change what it means to be a CPG company in a digital first era. I'm your host, Dave Knox, and this is Predicting the Turn, a show that helps business leaders meet their industry's inevitable disruption head on. Welcome to another episode of Predicting the Turn. Today, we sit down with Stu Landsberg, the co-founder and CEO of Grove Collaborative. Stu, welcome to the show. Great to be here. Thanks for having me. So I want to start from the beginning of your career and maybe actually even a little before that. Can you talk about what led you from you know going in a career of being a financial analyst to being the co-founder of such a mission-driven CPG company? So I started the company really because I've always cared a lot about sustainability and you know, about six, seven years into a career in investing, figured out a way to, to build well, what I thought at the time was a compelling business around it. Growing up, my family had pretty progressive values. When it came to the environment, I, I thought that every 13-year-old spent you know, one afternoon a week turning the compost pile in the backyard and didn't realize paper towels came in any color other than brown. And then so, you know, when I left the house, realized many other families did not live that way. And convenience really drives a tremendous amount of purchase behavior sort of across everything. Fast forward into my beginnings of my professional career was that working at a firm called TPG Capital out in San Francisco, covering consumer retail and internet, and spent a lot of time in the grocery channel and saw that even though most Americans really want to buy conscientious product, most of the shelf space is dominated by conventionals because of the way the brick and mortar ecosystem works. So I got convinced in 2012 that I could solve a real problem for a lot of families who wanted to make good choices. and at the same time, create a, a really compelling business that did something good for the world by helping people find products, making it really easy for people to find products and create a healthy habit around products that were good for them and good for the environment. So I left the finance world in, in 2012 and started Grove with all of the naivety and, and hubris of a 27-year-old who thinks that he knows everything. Quickly lost all that hubris, but helpful in making a jump. I love it. Well, let's talk a little bit more about Grove because uh, you know you and I actually met in the very, very early days of that when uh, Grove wasn't even the name of the business. So, tell me about Grove and the journey since that time in 2012-13. Sure. So, started the company in 2012 and really was totally naive about how simple it would be to start a consumer internet business. And I think you it's easy to read about these overnight successes, not understanding many of them are years and years in the making. So started the company in 2012 on the premise that we're just going to take the best natural brands and make them really easy to get online. The first four years were incredibly hard. We got every single thing wrong that we could possibly get wrong, aside from trying to pitch you guys. That was, that was one of the things we did right. Uh, <laughs> but over those first four years, we're unable to raise institutional capital and had the gift of low resourcing which meant that we spent a ton of time with our consumer. Because that's all that you could do. You couldn't focus on scaling. There's no money to scale. So you had to focus on the consumer. And so over those four years, came away with a couple of really deep customer insights that in 2016 sort of allowed a pivot that changed the course of the company for the better. And the first was initially we thought the consumer would be busy professionals, particularly coastal New York, San Francisco, Boston, LA, Chicago, DC. And that's not who our customer is at all. It's a young family, second-tier metro. 
substitute teacher in Lawrence, Kansas, Plano, Texas, places like that. And the second thing that we learned was that the big, uh, biggest opportunity in front of us was not just how do we make it easy to get products to people, but how do we use the data from our direct consumer platform to change what it means to be a CPG company in a digital first era. And so we changed the goal from being just about getting products to people to really developing products that could lead in an omnichannel world. And so those first four years, I will admit, Dave, as you referenced, I initially named the company ePantry, which is still embarrassing to think about. I like, like the name Grove much better. And then in 2016, really on the back of all those insights, we made a big pivot, changed the name to Grove, thank God, and, um, and finally sort of raised our first capital. And, and that business model has been pretty successful so far. So diving in a little bit more on that business model, you know, as you talked, your your first inspiration was make it easier to find the brands and the natural brands and the conscionable brands that people were looking for. But then you started using the data to do brand building in a different way. What le led you to think about that switch from a retail to maybe more of a brand model? Yeah, it's interesting. When I started, I had assumed that there, there are these amazing pioneering brands in the space, second generation, method, made natural, showed the world that natural products can work and they don't have to be super expensive. I just assumed that they were building for e-commerce because e-commerce is the future. But in practice, 90 plus percent of our category is offline at the time, 97% was offline. So all of these folks were really building from brick and mortar, which meant you needed big bottles, super dilute, like if you think about you know, the average bottle of laundry detergent is probably 80% water. The average bottle of glass cleaner is like 90 plus percent water. All of these things that you need to do to make products sell on shelf at big box retail. And because we were selling through our own platform, we had the privilege of you know, thinking only about the consumer, not about what's gonna work at retail. And not only did we have this opportunity, we had all this data from our consumers who we could talk to, we could survey, we could ask, we could you know, put up fake product tiles and run tests. We could gather all this data about how to make the transition from one format to a different format to do it with, with high confidence and high conviction. And so you know, we started that process in earnest in 2016. And you know, as the business has grown pretty significantly from 2016 to today, we've actually taken own brands. We own five different brands today. And those five brands account for more than 50% of the product that we sell. So been pretty successful in using our understanding of the consumer to build compelling products on a pretty quick timeline. And I will say, I do believe it's a sustainable competitive advantage for our business model that it's hard for P&G to replicate because the, the innovation cycle between idea, feedback, launch, feedback, iterate is so fast when you have that direct relationship with your consumer, it's a, it's a real advantage in creating the best possible quality product. The concept of own brands is one that there's been a lot of change over the last decade. If you think about own brands historically, you know, they were store brands at the Walmarts, the Targets, et cetera, of the world. And the hallmark of them was lower price and they would say you can get the same performance of a national brand, but they were generic labels. They didn't have a lot to them, et cetera. Why do you think own brands has transformed what historically a store brand maybe used to be in the retail world? The distinction between a sort of store brand and a private label and owned brands for us is sort of a pretty clear line in the sand around innovation. 
right? Private label is generally sort of off-the-shelf formulas. We hired a really exceptional team of chemists and product formulators and have an exceptional product development team to do real innovation. And I believe the consumer is smart. And the reason why our products, which are the fastest growing, best share, best reviewed products that we sell, the reason those products are growing more quickly and taking share in every single category isn't that they're cheaper. And in many cases, they're sort of line priced with the other leading national brands. It's not because of any you know, particular thing, except that the products are excellent. And I think that if you develop a really excellent product, the consumer, the consumer is going to understand that. And for us, we give our consumers a lot of stuff in understanding the difference between a really strong product with a ton of innovation behind it and why they should, why they should be willing to try that and ultimately stay loyal. And so I think the big difference between sort of store brands and then what we'll call own brands, which are real innovations or built from the ground up with our data is about product quality and innovation. I can give you a couple of concrete examples. Like our, we were the first to market in direct consumer with concentrated hard surface cleaner. So you get like a one ounce hard surface cleaner in a glass spray bottle you can use forever. In 2019, we saved about a million pounds of plastic through that program, right? But nobody was doing that at scale before us. We were first to market there, have moved really quickly, and you know, people have stick with stuff with that product because it's a nice form factor. Cost for use is lower than anything else on the market because it's a just a concentrate, better for the environment, lighter environmental footprint, and it really performs from an efficacy perspective, even compared to the conventional products. It's just a great quality product, a lot of innovation, and it's been successful. Talent is a big part of predicting the turn, and as we talk about talent, I wanted to mention one of our sponsors, Hunt Club. Imagine the power of the best marketers in the world helping you to find your next marketing leader. That's the power of Hunt Club. Hunt Club is a new category of talent company that powers the network of experts, connectors, and business leaders to help you find the best talent. Let's face it, recruiting hasn't changed with the times. Hunt Club is changing the recruiting game by leveraging technology and crowdsource referrals to find you the best people possible for your company. Stop paying job boards that don't work or recruiting firms that recycle the same active candidates. Partner with Hunt Club. So I think that's a really important part for people to take away because, you know, when you look at the first generation of, let's call them direct-to-consumer brands, they were often sourcing from the same factories and contract manufacturers as the store brands and the private labels. It was an, they were investing in brand, not in performance and innovation. You guys took the other tact of we're going to be great performing products, not parody products in the market. And that's a really interesting kind of distinction that you made. That's a great point. Yeah. I think for us, we believe it all starts with quality products, right? For more than 50% of the customers that grow over trying products that have never tried any of the brands that we sell, right? And so whether they want to keep using Grove, whether they want to maintain this relationship, it's all about how, how the product performs. You know, that's the number one reason that people stay. And so it's always, in my opinion, about product quality over everything else. With that in mind, one of the other concepts kind of at the heart of Grove is this concept of regenerative commerce. What do you guys mean when you talk about that concept and how does it really play out across the business? 
The company's vision statement is that consumer products will be a positive force for human and environmental health. Not just less bad, but actually more good. And if you look out at the categories that we're in, there are categories where corporations have made hundreds of billions of dollars of profit, right? Like insane amounts of money. But society has faced the negative externality of hundreds of billions of plastic bottles that are now in landfills or the ocean and you know, chemicals and all of the other bad things that have been well reported. And so the goal for me with regenerative commerce is how do we take existing business models and use them to repair the ecosystems that have been affected? So for example, our paper, everyone I think knows that paper has been massively destructive to forestry across North America. So our paper line is called Seedling, tree-free paper. And for every sort of roll of toilet paper you use, it's not quite one-to-one, -one, but depending on which product it is, you know, for every roll, we'll plant trees in the U.S. and we'll end up planting about a million trees in the U.S. through 2022. And that way outweighs the impact of the product by any metric. And so in a really weird way, we've created this business model where the more paper towel you use, the better it is for the environment, right? And it's totally possible to use commerce as a force for, for positive change in the environment and society. And so that's, that's our goal. And we don't do it across every part of our business, but that's a good example of it. And there's a couple more, uh, which I'm happy to get into, but maybe break there for time. Yeah, super. I love that. And you know, right now we're living in this world of e-commerce historically being about you know, convenience, one-click convenience, et cetera. How do you drive that mindset of sustainable, thoughtful buying practices and educating your members and your shoppers on those choices they could, they could be making versus just the convenience? Uh, Dave, you're a marketer, right? You know, it's, people are emotional animals. And I think for us, for our consumer, he or she really wants to be the best version of him or herself in the products they're bringing to their home, right? When you wash your dishes, how do you feel about yourself? Is you using a product that reflects your values or using a product that reflects the fact that you're sort of just grabbed whatever was convenient? And I think people are realizing that there are products that are super high quality and honestly make people feel good about themselves every time they use them. And one of the things we say at Grove is everything about shopping at Grove should make you feel good about shopping at Grove. And so, yes, convenience is a part of it, Convenience is a part, price is a part, selection, all of the normal retail things, but also trust, personal connection. We have a handwritten note on the outside of every single box. I hope you're a subscriber. If you are, you got a box this month that said, you know, stay healthy, Dave, on the outside in, in marker, um, you know, written by one of our amazing fulfillment center associates. And so for me, it's really about every single part of that experience can lead to you getting the, the endorphin rush of this is a brand I want to be a part of. And that leads to loyalty, word of mouth, et cetera. And so you need to deliver on convenience, like in today's world, just like you, you can't be losing on price. You never get to scale if you, if you lose on either of those things. Um, but I think you need a lot more to build the right emotional connection with the consumer. You just mentioned that uh, you know, this month the box said stay healthy. And you know, obviously a lot of people were all navigating through COVID and everything else that goes into that. You guys, you built your business around data. So what have you seen in the data about how buying behaviors and just how people are acting have really changed over the last you know, two to three months of COVID? 
So we saw the same panic buying as everyone else did in March, and then we've seen sort of the same moderation and back to normaling in April and May. And I think the trend from offline to online has been well reported on, and we see some of that. I think the most interesting thing we've seen is, counter to my expectation, the growth is not just in a very small sort of set of core SKUs. With people spending more time at home, they're really expanding into more categories in natural. Our clean beauty line is up much more than sort of even our core assortment. Our VMS lines, hydration powders under our brand Honu, are some of our best performing SKUs right now. We've actually seen a increase in the number of unique SKUs per customer of 25 to 30% over the last few months, which has been surprising because you read the headlines and all of a sudden the brands of your youth are the most trusted brands in the world again. But we've actually seen a much higher willingness of consumers to try new products to improve different parts of their routine. And it's been, it's been quite encouraging to see our customer base react by expanding the number of conscientious products they buy. So that's, an, I think, a really important part of the discovery. And it's easy to shorthand and say that, well, there's been out of stocks in other places, so that's why people are trying new things. But what you just described, that's not the driving factor. So why? what do you think is really causing that change? And will we see a more pronounced shift towards natural and sustainable because of this moment in time? I think we will see a pronounced shift. And I think it's just because people are paying attention. I don't think there's, like, one of the things I love about Grove is it's very not divisive. We do well in Texas and Kansas and California, you know, red state, blue state. You can't predict whether or not someone's a Grove customer based on political affiliation, up and down the socioeconomic ladder. It's really wonderful. And that's surprising to a lot of folks because we are such a socially, we are a social enterprise, right? Care a lot about the environment, et cetera. But there's no one out there who's pro-plastic waste. There's nobody out there who's against planting trees in the U.S. And I think that, so the people who are, are still using conventional products, they just haven't been paying attention to the changes in the efficacy and price point of national products, to some of the stuff that's come out from you know, big brands. There's a bunch that I won't name who've been you know, sued and pulled products off the market because of the impact of the chemicals they're using are becoming better known. And so as folks just pay more attention to these categories, I think they're shifting in in a bit of a predictable way towards products that are better for their families and, you know, better for the environment in a way that's that's pretty universal. Everybody who has a trash can is aware, more aware than ever, of how much stuff we're going through in our homes right now. So we started the conversation with uh, you describing the entrepreneurial journey and, you know, the first four years as you were really trying to figure out what you wanted the business to be, you know, the next four years taking us today to some pretty tremendous growth. What's the next four years have in store for you? I am so excited about what lies ahead because we finally have the resources. The bigger we get, the better the innovation we can do is. And so we made an announcement a little while ago that we're going to try to be entirely plastic-free by 2025. And so a ton of our resource is going into how do we understand what CPG can look like in a zero-plastic world? And how do we reimagine every part of the eco- an ecosystem that's been so reliant on single-use plastic forever? How can we come up with sort of CPG 2.0, if you will, 
that's ready for e-commerce and omni-channel that has a much smaller or even positive environmental footprint. And so a ton of our energy is going into product innovation because you know, to, get, to get back to that earlier point, right? you can invest in marketing and you can drive sales temporarily. You invest in high quality product and innovation, you'll drive long-term customers. And so that's, that's the big focus. And then you know, the second is just continuing to build our customer base and build our organization. You know, natural brands still have teeny, teeny, tiny share. You know, the whole natural category in the U.S. is still smaller than Tide. And our business is, you know, a single-digit percent of Tide's U.S. sales. Incredible. So there's a lot of work that we still have to do to transition the vast majority of families from the products that they grew up with to products that are, are better for their, their family's health and also better for, for our society in general. Well, that is a, a perfect place, I think, to bring the conversation to a close. So I really appreciate you joining as always. It has been a blast to watch your growth of the business and can't wait to see the change you guys continue to bring upon the world in the years to come. Dave, fun to have the conversation and uh, excited for all the lives ahead. Thank you, sir. Thanks so much for listening. If you like the show, hit that rating and make sure to subscribe so you don't miss a single episode. And for more resources, head over to predictingtheturn.com.